this morning. We receive it so that we can bless others. We pray for our children and our children's children and a thousand generations that we would not be silent. We would not be quiet. We would be preaching and proclaiming your name to our children, to our friends, our family, our co-workers, God. I know how hard it can be to to speak your name sometimes to other people who don't know you, but God, when it's easy, it's easy because of you. And we love you and we thank you and we praise you. You are the King of Kings. 
You turn our graves into gardens, God, and we will sing of your goodness forever. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, okay, amen. Well, good morning. Have a seat. This may be a little bit of a surprise for you guys. If you uh, expected to see somebody else this morning, here we go. <laughs> here it is. We've had a streaming issue today, and so I'll just give a disclaimer. We're just going to go with it, guys. And so we're gonna, I'm going to share something that's on my heart, and, and uh, we're going we're gonna to do the best that we can. And so I'm going to title this this morning, Suit Up, all right? And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to suit up, and we're going to go into battle right now. We're going to look at a passage that was going to be uh, on parenting and on uh, raising godly kids. But this morning, what we're going to focus on is the full armor of God. And so we're going to suit this thing up and rock and roll. And so if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. You know, in our daily spiritual battle, we face a frightening enemy, don't we? And the first step to victory is identifying our enemy. An anonymous quote is this, you cannot fight effectively unless you can identify your enemies, right? And the devil is our enemy. Him and his demon friends, they are our enemy. And when you think about the devil, for me personally, I think about the idea, really because Kevin just shared this with me in the hallway a little bit earlier, the idea of snakes. I don't like snakes one bit. Do you guys like snakes? And when I think about the devil, that's the first thing that come, comes to my mind. I had a neighbor growing up, and she had um, a, this, this huge, I think it was an anaconda or a boa constrictor, something. And I remember sometimes she would answer the door, and the daggone snake, six feet long, would be wrapped around her just hanging out. And that thing, it just freaked me out. Everywhere I went, it scared me. It made me nervous. And the one thing that I learned is that you never know where you stand with a snake, do you? Like you just, when you look at them, you have no idea what in the world they're thinking. Unlike like a dog, for instance. How many people got a dog in here? You guys got a dog in there? Yeah, absolutely. Dogs are good pets. Snakes, not so much. If you like snakes, good for you. But a dog, you can tell what they're thinking at all times, can't you? They're always just up, happy, jumping around, maybe, maybe coming up, licking you, barking, all, everything like that. They love you, right? They want to play all the time. It's just like my daughter Jillian. Maybe she's half dog. I don't know. But she always wants to play, right? Dogs always want to play. Snakes, they could be thinking, I love you. But they, at the same time, I'd be thinking, I'm about to bite your face off, right? You just don't know where you stand with them. And also, I learned that if you give a snake just a little bit of space, they will get out of their cage. The same story with this particular lady that lived next door. She, at one time, I believe, correct me, between services, I'm wrong, the snake got out. And so they didn't necessarily know where the snake was, and it just had a little crack in the cage, and sure enough, that thing wiggled out, and they had to search the house looking for that snake. Well, in the same way as a snake, you give a snake a little bit, it'll take a mile. In the same way, if you give the devil just an inch, guess what? He's going to do the same thing. He's going to take a mile. You can't mess around with the devil. You can't mess around with the wicked one of this age. Satan wants to separate us from the love of Christ. And Jesus, we have to remember, is this. He is the source of our power. And so what I want you to understand this morning, first key point, is we need to stand in God's strength, not our own. You and I, we got to stand in God's strength, not our own. And in Ephesians chapter 6, before a word is mentioned about the pieces of armor to put on, Paul gives us some specific instructions. And so that's where I want to start, some specific, specific instructions from Paul. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, says this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Church, in these verses, Paul tells us to be strong in the Lord. And then he tells us, after he tells us to be strong, he says that we're to put on this armor of God. And when you think about a soldier in general, just picture this for a minute. When you think about a weak soldier, let's say there's a a person that has no strength. When I say weak, I'm thinking physical strength. If a person has no physical strength and you put that heavy armor that they used to wear back in the day on that person, they're not going to be very effective, are they? Because the, 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 the armor itself, they're not going to be strong enough to really move and operate with what is on top of them. But in the same way, if you have a, sh- a soldier that's absolutely jacked, strong and mighty in his own power, but he doesn't put on his armor, he is very vulnerable, is he not? And so what does it take? It first takes us to be really strong in and of ourselves, but then on top of that, we got to put the armor on over top so that we are guarded and we are protected. And so the bottom line is we need to be strong in the Lord first, and then we suit up. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. And so how does it look to be suited up? Well, first, we, here's another key point. We must put on the full armor of God once and for all. And when Paul says put on the full armor of God, it doesn't mean put it on in the morning and then take it off after work and put it on again the next day. That's not what he's saying. There's no such thing as a spiritual vacation, you see. We never know when we're going to come under attack. And so when he says put it on, he means put it on once and for all, right? You put on that spiritual armor and it stays on you. You don't take it off. And I want you to understand this. Every piece of that armor is important. They're all interconnected and they must all be used. If we leave one piece out that will be the area where we're most vulnerable. And we might think we're strong in certain areas of our lives and that we could never fail to a particular area of sin, but the Bible warns us to be careful because a strength can become a weakness if we don't actually guard and protect against it. Okay? And so let's not become self-confident, but instead let's put on the whole armor of God and let's stand firm. What I want to do this morning is this. I want to take this passage that we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to walk through every single part of the particular armor so we can ask ourselves the question, are we wearing the full armor of God? Let's pray as we begin. Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Uh, We thank you just for the word of God. Father, I'm not up here this morning to give any kind of opinion on myself. I'm up here to simply to present truth to you. And so I thank you that it is not dependent on my own strength right now, but it is dependent on the power of your word to speak to all of us today. And so, Father, I pray that even though we're not going according to plan today, that we're kind of diverting off the path, the truth is you still have a word to speak to all of us this morning. Father, you knew this was going to happen. You knew right now that Satan was going to do everything to mess this up. But, Father, we're going to do exactly what you tell us. We're going to fight against that this morning through the power of your word. And so I pray that you speak to all of us in a mighty way and that you equip the saints for the work of the ministry through our time together this morning. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's dive in. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to pick it up once again where we left off, really starting in verse 14. I'm going to read through verse 17 says this it says stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth 
And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darks of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's unpack these one by one. We're going to start with the belt of truth. We're just going to walk through the text and hit them one by one. So let's start with the belt of truth. A Roman soldier wore a large belt, which was key to his entire apparatus. You had to have the belt in order for the whole thing to operate and work the way it was supposed to. And the belt of truth, it represents a state of readiness. And so I want you to think for a second about a police officer. A police officer doesn't necessarily wear a belt just to hold his pants up, right? Am I right, Kevin Slide? You don't just wear a belt to hold your pants up. You wear a belt because it has all the things that you need. You have your, your police equipment, if you will. You have the gun, you have the handcuffs, and whatever else you guys use. I don't know what you guys use, but you have all those things connected to that belt. And without the belt, the police officer truly isn't, quote, unquote, ready for duty. And though it's not exactly the most exciting thing to look at, the officer isn't going anywhere without his belt, right? He's not going into a dangerous situation without everything that is attached to that belt. And so it's a state of readiness. It's almost the final thing to put on before you head into a particular situation. And so the first thing I want you to see with this belt of truth is we've got to be ready for battle. We cannot be fully ready without God's truth, the belt of truth. The second piece of the equipment, staying in the police uh, realm in our thinking, is the breastplate of righteousness. And the same way you wouldn't go into a dangerous situation without your belt, you would also never walk into a dangerous situation without a, po a police officer wearing a bulletproof vest, right? You wouldn't go into a scary, dangerous situation without protecting all of your vital organs. And so a policeman who's on duty, who's going into a situation that is questionable, is never going to enter into that situation without his vital organs being protected. Well, let me tell you this. We, as brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus, we are always on duty for Christ, right? We are always on duty. When you believe in Jesus, listen to this, you become a righteous person which means you represent him everywhere you go. And it's not based on anything that you've done for God in the past, but it's based on everything that he has done in and through our lives. And so because of that, because of the fact that Jesus has done so much for us, what should our response be? What's our response now that we've become a righteous person? Well, our response is that we are to try to, in every way, shape, or form to flee from sinful behaviors and we are to try to live godly lives. The Christian word for that is sanctification. Once we become a Christian, we become more and more like Jesus. That's what sanctification means. And so the question is, how do we do that? Well, one simple way to do that is just to look internally at your life. And we don't have time to unpack all these different things, but just one thought that popped in my mind is as simple as who are you hanging out with? Who are the people that you're associating with on a regular basis? Because here it is, you show me who you're running around with, you show me your friends, and a lot of times I can point and show you your future. You see, who, who, who you're hanging out with is who's going to have the most influence on you. And here's the deal, if you're hanging around ungodly people who do ungodly things, don't be surprised if you get pulled away. 
Now, that doesn't mean we don't hang out with non-believers at all. We know we're called to reach non-believers, and so we have to build relationships with them, but we have to hang out with them in the right places at the right times. You see, because on the other hand, if you're hanging out and surrounding yourself with godly people who do godly things, they're going to influence you to become more like Christ. And as Christians, there are things you should do and things you should not do. Think about like getting into shape for a minute. If I wanted to work hard and get myself into the best shape of my life, my weekly calendar is not going to include never going to the gym and sitting on the couch eating potato chips, right? You're not going to have a six-pack. You're going to have a one-pack, right? That's just what it's going to be, all right? And so when you think about getting in shape, you have to actually do things. You have to get into action. You have to watch what you eat. You have to commit time to being in the workout facility to help yourself get better and better. And the same is true in the Christian life. If we want to move down the field as followers of Jesus, we've got to be active in serving the Lord and walking with him. But in the same way, just like you would flee those potato chips, and I know they're good, listen, I know they're good, but just the same way you would flee those potato chips if you want to get in the best shape of your life as a Christian, you've got to flee those evil desires, and you've got to put on that breastplate of righteousness in its place. And so the second thing is that breastplate of life, righteousness. But the third piece are the shoes of the gospel of peace. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Once again, Roman soldiers, they would wear boots all the way up to their knees. And today we have different shoes for different occasions, but it's important to have the right shoes for the right activity, isn't it? I mean, it would be really difficult for me to, let's just go back to the workout example, work out in a pair of snow boots. It just would be a difficult thing. And so it's important to have the right shoes for the right equipment. Um, and what do we do with our feet? Well, we walk forward, right? This is how, when you think about the Christian life, we have to advance the gospel by moving forward. We gain ground in the spiritual battle through proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ by moving it forward, by walking it out, by moving in the right direction. If you're using your life to bring the gospel to others, that means this. That means you have beautiful feet, right? You have absolutely beautiful feet because you're moving forward. Now, let me offer you a warning. We talk about this evangelism class coming up, and I want, I told you earlier, I want every single person to be in that class. If it was up to me, we would just teach it on Sunday morning in worship and just move on, right? But here's the deal. I want you all to be there, but here's the warning. When you seek to do that, to have the shoes to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, when you attempt to move the gospel down the field, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get some opposition, right? Because Satan is not going to like that. He doesn't like when the gospel moves forward. He likes when the gospel goes backwards, if you will, right? He wants us to go backwards. But we are called to put the shoes of uh, the gospel of peace on and to pursue and move the gospel forward in whatever way we can. Fourth thing is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. We need to take up the shield of faith in the spiritual battle. Because when it, if you look back at the text, it says that there are going to be essentially flaming arrows coming at us. And when I picture this, I'm like, holy smokes, there are these flaming arrows coming from hell our way, and we rarely receive the, any word that they're coming, don't we? Doesn't it just seem like sometimes you get hit with something, like a temptation or a trial or a difficulty, and you didn't see it coming at all? Anybody ever been there? And they just come out of nowhere, right? It's like, I don't know if you've ever been here. I've, I've been here, maybe not necessarily today, but you've been like even sitting in a worship service, and all of a sudden you'll have this sinful thought pop in your head. 
And you're like, how did that even get there? I was worshiping, praising the Lord. They got up to do the announcements, and all of a sudden, I started thinking negatively about something. I started thinking about something in an impure way. It's like, where did that even come from? And so the question is, when we, when we are in life and we're going through this season of, of, of trying to be righteous, and all of a sudden we get hit with these fiery darts into our brains, what do we do? How do we get out of this? Well, we get out what we're talking about right here. We have to get out the shield of faith. We have to hold it up and we have to defend ourselves. And in order to defend ourselves, we must have a working knowledge of the scriptures. You see, when the lie comes, the shield goes up. That's what happens. Remember, the Bible does not tell us to stand firm in our feelings. It tells us to stand firm in our faith, right? It's not how I feel in that moment. It's what I believe in that moment give you a little extra encouragement. The Roman soldiers, what they actually did is they would use their shields as a group to protect themselves from a barrage of arrows. And so I don't know if you've ever seen the movie where a bunch of people will shoot arrows up and they start to come down on top of everybody. Well, what the Roman soldiers would do with their actual shield is they would all get basically crunched down together and they would all put their shield up and it was like a fortress. And so nothing could get through because they were a power. They were a unit all together. And so the darts would come down and bam, or the arrows would come out and just bam, they bounce right off, right? They did this by locking together. And it's important to know that, church, here it is. We can't expect to do all of this on our own. You are not alone. All of us together, you can do so much more as a body of believers together than you can do on your own. And so we stand together we fight against the evil one together, we pray together, and we march together into the spiritual battle. Write this down. None of us will make it as a solo Christian. We've got to have our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why Christ created the church. He wants us to be part of the church. You see, the church needs you, and we all need the church. It's a two-way street. You know, I was thinking about this, too, just this morning as I was prepping for this. And you think about a fire. Um, you, might, you guys have done campfires before, right? You've got a campfire, and you have a bunch of logs, and you have this big flame out. Well, have you ever taken a log out of the fire and thrown it to the side? What happens to that one solo log? It slowly, quickly, actually goes out, right? But as soon as you take that log and throw it back in the fire, it catches and all of a sudden, the flame starts back up once again. It's the same way with us in the church. See, if we try to do this thing on our own, we'll be like that little log that's set out from the fire, and we'll just slowly be put out. But if we stand with our brothers and sisters and support each other, equip each other, love one another, take care of one another, we will stand strong together. And so Christians should love one another, and we should march with one another into battle against Satan. Next thing is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. A Roman soldier's helmet could take a crushing blow and still protect him in battle. And so for the Christian, the helmet of salvation speaks of protecting our minds. You see, the mind itself is the uh, command central, and whenever we have given into temptation, that sin has almost always begun in our mind. Isn't that true? Like when we sin, doesn't the sin almost always start with us thinking about something? You see, the devil attacks our thoughts like this. He says, I know you would never do this because you are so wonderful and you are so righteous and you are so holy. And I know you're running after Jesus so much. 
But you know what? Just for fun, why don't you just take this little thought on a test drive? And why don't you just let it stir for a minute? Just play around with it a little bit. I was reminded when I bought my first actual car. So I had a little 90, I think it was a 97 Chevy Cavalier. For the record, I've always had a convertible. I just think it's cool when people can see you when you're driving. But I had a 97, like, little white convertible. It was like $3,000. That was my first car. But my first actual car after uh, starting my big boy job, if you will, was a Mustang convertible, right? And so I was trying to figure out, okay, so what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to um, decide between whether I want this car, whether I want another car? And Dad, I don't know if you remember this, but my dad and I were test driving the Mustang one day. And we were coming through Salem. We got to the stoplight coming toward the Cave Spring area right there at the sheets. You know where the sheet sits on the left and you're at the stop sign? Well, we pulled down there. The top's down. It's a beautiful day, right? And all of a sudden, while we're sitting there, we look to my right. I can't make this up. Look to my right, and these, you know, sorry, Amber, beautiful girls drive up beside us, right? And all of a sudden, you just hear this high voice. They roll their windows down. We love your car. I was like, at least my dad said, sold. <laughs> so, done. Like, this thing is mine. But the deal was, think about the car salesman. Here's how he approached this. He said, hey, I know you, maybe this isn't the smartest thing, because my first job was way out in Botetourt as a teacher. And so that was a 30-minute drive. And so I'm thinking, this may not be the smartest drive, or the smartest purchase. And at the same time, the, the, the guy that was selling to me, he's saying that. He's saying, hey, I know this may not be the smartest thing, but just to help make your decision a little easier, it's a beautiful day. Just drop the top and take it for a ride. Just see what happens. And sure enough, I took it for a test drive, and I let it stir, and I experienced how good it could be, how good it could make me feel, how wonderful it was going to be in that car, and I was sold. I bought that automobile. I think I bought it that day. I think I bought it that came back. This thing's mine, right? It's the same way with Satan, right? Exact same way. I know you're not going to, I know that's not the smart thing to do. That's not what Jesus says to do. I know. I know you're not going to do it, but just take it for a try and see what's going to happen, and the next thing you know, we start slipping and slipping, and then we have fun, and we have a cool experience, and we've committed the sin. And it came out of nowhere. See, Satan wants to get into our minds because our thoughts translate into action. And when impure thoughts come into our minds, we've got to destroy them immediately. Write that down. When an impure thought comes into your mind, no matter what it is, you've got to extinguish it immediately. We don't want to commit a sin outwardly or inwardly. Right? We don't want to do it in our mind, in our heart, or in our imagination. Like, and have you ever noticed, like, when you think, when you try to think about something, just picture this. Have you ever tried to think two thoughts at the same time? Can you do it? You can't think two things at once, right? Some of y'all are like, you're going to give yourself a headache if you try, right? So just don't even start. But here it is. You can't think two thoughts at the same time. In other words, you can't have a pure thought and an impure heart simultaneously. And so when an evil thought comes, we've got to reject that thought immediately. We've got to take it captive is what 2 Corinthians tells us. Take every thought captive and we immediately reject that and we replace it with a pure thought. See, when the devil and the enemy attacks your mind, you bring the Bible into play. And you reject that impure thought with the word of God got to train ourselves to think biblically. That's that helmet of salvation, thinking biblically. This is what it is to put on the helmet of salvation. But the last thing, my favorite thing, right, is the sword of the Spirit. Look again at verse 17, the sword of the Spirit. It says, take the helmet of salvation, we talked about that, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word 
See, when a soldier goes into battle, he isn't going to throw his shield like Captain America. Right? You're not just going to be faced with something in a war and say, right? That's not what's going to happen. Right? What's he going to do? He's going to bring out that sword to fight. And you know what Paul says the sword is in the spiritual battle? It is the word of God, brothers and sisters, the word of God. There are Christians today who have their armor on properly, but the problem is the sword never gets used, right? We've got to use the sword of God. We've got to take our swords out of that sheath that it's carried in and start using them. The sad truth is this. It's amazing how many times you and I, and I'm guilty of this just as you are sometimes, maybe you're not, maybe it's just me, but I'm guilty of the fact that I can focus in on a baseball game. I watched the Braves and the Orioles last night, and they're my two favorite teams, and I didn't know who to cheer for, but I could focus on it the entire time. I can focus on things when I'm trying to search the web. I can focus on things when I'm on Facebook trying to update something, or uh, I know my wife maybe can focus when she's trying to post something on Instagram, but sometimes the reality is my mind can be scattered everywhere when I try to read God's Word. Anybody else ever been there? It's just hard to focus sometimes. We start thinking about all the things that we have to do and all those things. And what happens is we get so distracted that sometimes we don't even get back to the Word of God. We just start our day and say, I'll get to that tomorrow. But here it is. Follow me here. And I'm I'm preaching to myself right now. As Christians, we have to be disciplined in our Bible study, right? Because that is our only offensive weapon against the evil one. It is the Bible. We've got to develop a concrete plan for studying God's word. We've got to stay with it, and we can't let the enemy take us away from our plan. We've got to fight against him and be diligent students of God's word. The devil is going to try to stop you from studying about the Bible. He's going to try to make, make no time in your life, make, make no margin in your schedule for you to be able to study God's word, and you've got to fight against that knowing that this is my offensive weapon, and I've got to know the Word of God. I think about Jesus in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4. Right after he was baptized, he was led into the wilderness, and he was tempted over and over and over and over. You guys remember the story, Matthew 4, 1 through 11? He was tempted over and over and over, three times. And every single time, do you remember what he said when Satan came at him? What did he say? He said, it is written. He didn't fight with his, well, it is his own self. But in a sense, what did he use to fight against the evil one? He used the word of God. He said, no, I'm not going to fall to that because it is written blank. It is written blank. It is written three times. He fought against him using the word of God. He used it like a sword. And in the same way, that's what we have to do. When we are faced with trials, when we are faced with difficulties, when we are faced with temptations, when those evil thoughts come into our minds, we've got to fight against them with the word of God and say, get behind me, Satan, for it is written and deliver the word of God. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, what is the condition of your sword this morning? It's the question we have to ask ourselves. What is the condition of my sword? Is it polished because every single day I'm using it to study the scriptures? Or has my sword gotten a little rusty? Because I'm not practicing. I'm not being obedient to studying God's word. You see, if you neglect the study of God's word, your spiritual life ultimately begins to unravel. You see, in in life, it's really, really hard to keep moving down the field and becoming more like Jesus if you're never actually spending time with him, right? And so we've got to be diligent students 
of God's Word. You know, it's, it's great. I know some people that will carry their Bible everywhere they go, right? They'll have it in their backpack. They'll have it in their purse. They'll have it in their back pocket, whatever it may be. They have it everywhere they go. But do you know the best place to carry God's Word? It's in your heart, right? It's to know it. It's to love it. To have those truths saturated down within. I've talked about it before. I've told you the story before. My wife's Bible, it is so beat up. And praise be to the Lord for Kevin Smith. He rebounded my wife's Bible. And so it's not as beat up as it once was. But the pages are just like at their, on their last leg. But once again, I've always said, when I see a Bible that is beat up, I don't think, man, that person treats their Bible poorly. I think there's a person who really knows the Word of God. Right? There's a person because they're using it every single day. Write it down. A Bible that is falling apart is usually an indication of a life that isn't, right? All of us, myself included, we've got to use our swords on a regular basis. We've got to keep them sharp so that we're ready to defend ourselves against the evil one. Church, this is the armor of God. This is what has been given to every follower of Jesus. If you put on the armor of God every day, you will have defense against the devil. You will have defense against the evil one. The non-Christian, it's like a human dartboard, right? The fiery darts from the enemy one are just hitting them over and over and over. And guess what? They don't have a defense because they don't know Jesus yet, right? And so they're just getting pelted over and over and over. The devil's plan is just simply to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. But for us as Christians, man, we have the full armor of God. We have it. So my challenge to you this morning is to ask yourself, we walk through these five, six, seven things, however many it is, we walk through them this morning, ask yourself the question, how am I doing on each part of the armor of God? How am I doing? And then take steps this week and say, okay, I'm lacking a little bit in this area. Lord, through the power of your spirit, help me to grow in this area. Help me to get my sword out and to sharpen that thing this week. Right? Help me to think biblical thoughts. Help me to surround myself with other fellow believers so that I can be equipped to, be defense, uh, to defend against the evil one. So that's my challenge for you this morning is to look at the full armor of God and say, where am I today? And how can I take that next step in growing in my relationship with Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for just the Apostle Paul and how he laid this out to all of us in such a clear and beautiful way. Father, I, Lord, Lord I, you know me, you know my heart, you know there are times where I can get so busy and make the excuse even that I'm so busy with church work that I don't have time for my own relationship. Sometimes I want to make the excuse, if I'm being totally honest this morning, that I'm prepping for a sermon and so I don't have time for my personal quiet time this morning. And so, Father, I confess that to you. I confess that to my, my brothers and sisters here this morning. Father, I need my sword to be sharpened. I need that daily time with you every single day. And so help me to sharpen my sword so that I can stand firm and stand strong in you in everything that I say and everything that I do. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. Lord, we know this world has so many things that they want to throw at us. They want to throw things at our mind. Father, protect our minds. They want to throw things at our heart. Lord, protect our hearts. But Father, don't just protect us. Give us the, the, the strength and the courage and the desire to take steps forward for you. 
Father, we don't want to just stay in these walls and just say, look at us right here. We want to take this word and we want to go out to other people. And so, Father, help us to take those steps with the proper shoes on this week. And, Father, help us to use the word of God as the way to defend ourselves. Father, when we're faced with difficulties, when we're faced with trials or evil thoughts this week, Father, will we take that, recognize it, and hold that thought captive in our minds and make it obedient to you. Father, we love you this morning. I thank you for, once again, my brothers and sisters here today. And may we be your hands and feet this week. Father, when people look at us, would they see us in the image of your son Jesus by the way that we talk, by the way that we think, and by the way that we act? We love you, Jesus, and we ask it in your name. Amen.